HD3 Detroit, KJAQ, HD3 Seattle, WBMX, HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. What are poltergeists? Are they crazy spirits or are something more ominous? Could they be connected with other areas of the paranormal? Hey, and welcome to the 173rd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Benino on CBS New Sky Radio and www.newskyradio.com. I'm Ben, and opening the show today was my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Well, today we continue our discussion about ghosts that we started on our New England show last Monday, uh, various kinds, what they really are or might be, what the implications are for us. And my conclusion, after 40 years of this, nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be. Right. So uh, since my dad is the closest thing we have to a guest today, I'll just give you a brief bio again. Um, well, Paul- unless they weren't listening last week, <laughs> You weren't listening last week. Um, Paul Eno was one of the first of the modern paranormal investigators. He started investigating reports of ghosts in 1970 when he was studying for the priesthood. He was mentored by some of the greatest experts of the 20th century, including Dr. Louisa Ryan, Father John J. Nicola, and Ed and Lorraine Warren. In the wake of the church's paranoia, Following the release of the movie The Exorcist in 1973, my dad was told to leave the seminary in 1977. One of the, the uh, two years, no, uh, uh, one or two years before he would have been ordained to the priesthood, so he would have been in the priesthood now, and I wouldn't be around. He became well, an award. Become an Orthodox priest. Well, yeah. Anyway, um, he became an award-winning New England newspaper writer and editor, a well-known historian. Later, wrote seven books. And five of them are about the paranormal. The others are about history because his other hat is being a historian. His many hats. In his more than 1,200, count that, 1,200 cases, he has battled poltergeists, dealt with many kinds of ghosts, and communicated with many kinds of apparently non-human entities. You've probably seen him on the History Channel, Discovery, and Travel Channels. And you've probably heard him on many talk shows, including this one. So check out his website, www.newenglandghosts.com. Yeah, well, it's kind of become our website, you know, too, and uh, as, as Ben has joined me over the uh, last few years. Uh, anyway, thank you, Ben. Um, today we continue the discussion. We started on our New England Drive Time show last Monday. As I say, we were talking about the seemingly simple question, what are ghosts? And when I started researching uh, ghosts in the early, early 1970s there, I came bearing the usual assumptions that almost nobody questioned then and that few question now uh, ghosts are spirits or the non-corporeal remnants of people or uh, those who have died according to my seminary training demons or servants of the devil i believe as do most of you still that there is a quote spirit world that corresponds to the material world in which we live as with many of you i assumed that there had to be religious or scientific principles behind all this but they just hadn't been discovered yet so, um, all right. So last okay, better question. Okay. All right, yeah, check us out. So last week you talked about some of your early ghost cases and how the spirit thing just didn't add up. So what about poltergeists? Well, that's the next step in any kind of ghost uh, discussion, I'm sure, because 
we were talking earlier that I didn't believe in the spirits of the dead. I think it's uh, not good enough. I think that we have uh, something much more interesting and much deeper going on. We, I, early on, through several very strange cases, came to the conclusion that we're dealing with more with physics than with death, more with time than with funerals, so to speak. In the world of quantum mechanics, you have a theory that seems to fit what I was seeing in the uh, 70s and in the 80s, and that is called the multiple worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. Anybody uh, who listens to this show regularly is very familiar with that ad nauseum. And what it essentially says is that uh, these ghosts, um, in, at least from our point of view, are people just living their lives in parallel worlds. It explains a lot in the par- <coughs> excuse me in the paranormal. As a matter of fact, I think it pretty much explains everything in the paranormal. So um, taking that and moving to the next step, you have not just see, uh, seeming to see people going through uh, their daily lives, uh, you know, the old lady who comes down the stairs and walks out through your front door without opening it every, every week, uh, or <clears throat> various relatives uh, manifesting themselves in areas where, that they used to uh, live in or, or frequent, uh, this sort of thing. You move on to another level. And uh, what we were essentially saying here was was that there are other non-human entities involved in the paranormal. The, the multiverse, as we call it, is a big place. This this enormous system of parallel worlds, parallel realities, and in these worlds are uh, among these worlds are many that would be very alien to us. And why is this? Because the one of the main principles of of this part of quantum mechanics is that all things that are possible actually do exist in one or another parallel world. Uh, and taking it a little farther, I think that's how we imagine things. That's how we are. That, that's the essence of our creativity. That's the essence of new ideas, memory, imagination, because we ourselves are living parallel lives in these worlds, many of them anyway, in our subconscious. I believe that our entire subconscious is made up of our experiences that are going on right now in these parallel worlds. Uh, how did um, Mozart, at the age of four, start uh, uh, composing violin concerti? Well, because he was doing so in a parallel world in which he was in touch with his subconscious. I think that that's as, as simple as that, if you want to call it simple. Where does our creativity, where, where is our memory? Nobody's ever been able to find it in the brain. And our memory seems to be <clears throat> uh, there uh, non-locally, as physicists would say. It seems to be uh, non-local, shared, in other words. Uh, the whole idea of the collective unconscious that, that psychologists uh, like Carl Jung uh, stumbled upon. Ideas of synchronicity. These are all related to stuff that I saw in the paranormal. And I... Uh, really pinned it, uh, pinned it down there by the late 70s, and I said the only thing that can explain this to me is this idea of multiple worlds. So poltergeist, the next step. In these multiple worlds, in some of them, there seem to be entities who are not so nice. I'll put it that way. I first encountered uh, these, these really awful phenomena, uh, starting with some minor telekinetic phenomena. Tele- telekinesis is an old word in parapsychology for objects moving without any physical means, apparent physical means. Uh, people would come to me in cases with dishes floating across the kitchen, shaking beds. That actually happened to me one time. Uh, things like that. 
But my first knockdown dragout poltergeist case was in November of 1974. Talked about it many times on the show, and it's well documented in my book, uh, Faces at the Window, uh, published in 1998. And what I went through in that case didn't match the common wisdom either. Uh, when I stood there with, in the kitchen with police officers and firefighters from the city of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and watched the 300-pound refrigerator lift itself up and kind of float around the kitchen, uh, things like that, uh, when I was struck in the leg by a flying television set and, and uh, rather severely uh, gashed by it, uh, when the woman of the house had her toe broken by flying objects, uh, this was beyond seeing somebody going about their daily lives in a parallel world. This was an intrusion in my opinion, from a parallel world by alien entities. You can take that however you wish. They didn't arrive in flying saucers, maybe, but they were not human in any sense of the word that I could discern. When I was, I was still in the seminary at this time, of course, and I was very nervous about what I was doing in the first place, but, but I was extremely nervous about any hint of the psychic or the mediumistic. They, I would have been out on my ear for sure if they'd heard about anything like that. But nevertheless, from day one... In my research, I began to apprehend information that really, I suppose, could not come from any other source than the commonly accepted ideas of uh, mediums or, or psychics. In this Bridgeport case, I knew for sure, I could, I could almost see them, two gauzy figures, four of them, who seemed to be wreaking havoc in this case. This was far from the theory that was current in parapsychology and still to some point is, that the the child in the case, 10-year-old Marcy, was causing uh, these phenomena by concentrating energy in the form of, of uh, uh, th that sort of poltergeist, you know, that is, is talked about in parapsychology. You know, that it builds up and these things will happen. Uh, I saw these as independent life forms, different entities, and I was very disturbed by it because it didn't fit any of the common theories. I, we, we approached this, I was working with Ed Lorraine Warren on this case, and we approached it in the theological manner, uh, more or less, uh, assuming these were demons. Uh, the priests uh, came in, blessed the house, we were planning an exorcism that never happened, and it, this was the sort of thing. And we'd done the, I'd done this on several occasions, and, and sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't work. These things seemed outside of all that. They didn't seem to have a theology that matched mine, uh, they acted in in a manner that was whose motivations just did not seem to be human, and they, when I was in their presence, it felt like they were j just alien. It was a sort of sterility. I felt no humanity whatsoever. At one point, there was a physical altercation between me and one of them. Uh, the Warrens weren't there. Where there was a reporter in the house and, and a neighbor in the family, which, which the family itself consisted of this little girl and two uh, parents in their 40s. And the things, four of them came down the hallway. One stood in front of me. I put the little girl behind me. My job during this case was to protect her and to make sure she wasn't doing any of this stuff. And the thing got around me, and as it did so, it, 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 brushed, it bumped into me and pushed me out of the way, and I could feel a physical body there this was no spirit you know and, and i could even feel a bone structure it wasn't human either it was probably one of the scariest things that ever happened to me and it threw the little girl across the room and this was my real knockdown drag out uh, introduction to the poltergeist phenomena the, uh, the following well several years later in 1978 uh, i ran into another uh, very similar situation uh, in new haven connecticut not far from bridgeport uh, obviously i'm 
was from Connecticut and was based there uh, as a seminary student. And this these particular uh, phenomena were occurring in the, the upstairs part of a store uh, that had, was an apartment for the owners of the place. And uh, when I had first walked in there, the, the woman was very good at keeping this quiet. The problem with the Bridgeport case was the press found out about it and they were all over it. The people in the, in the uh, New Haven case were able to keep it quiet. So when I walked in there, I swore I saw a bottle of soda in the the, the store, which was closed by this time, uh, floating across one of the aisles. And upstairs, the apartment was a terrible mess. It was the closest thing I'd ever seen to a Hollywood-like situation with uh, obscenities scrawled on the walls, uh, holes in the walls. Uh, as soon as I got up there, Usually things quiet down when, when someone new walks in because the, 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 the chemistry of the situation kind of has to get used to you. But sure enough, the, the, this, this thing, something, threw a, a leather armchair at me. If the woman had screamed and I hadn't ducked, I don't know if this show would be taking place. But several questions began to arise with Poltergeist uh, during this case as well. One of them was, gee, you know, when I saw that refrigerator float around uh, there with the cops in the, in the 1974 case and when I saw other things happening in the 1978 case, was it actually the entities doing this or was it the energies that's, that surrounded the, the entities uh, who were here? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so in any case, we'll continue that, that theme as we come back as we uh, talk about Poltergeist uh, uh, here on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio, newskyradio.com. Uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us. CBS Radio's The New Sky. NewSkyRadio.com. Across the Veil with April Lugo. Join April Lugo each Tuesday night at 7 for Across the Veil. Across the Veil is a show that promises to be a unique experience as April connects and communicates with those who are across the veil. April receives guidance and wisdom from the ancients, angels, masters, teachers, and guides, as well as hearing messages from those who have preceded us across the veil, family, friends, and loved ones alike. The program is an excellent opportunity for you to hear from those who are across the veil. April will be answering questions and giving insight. That's the main reason for the program. Across the Veil at 7 Tuesday on the Sky. Look up to the sky. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Reach out. New Skyradio.com. I thought I saw a man brought to life. He was warm, he came around, and he was dignified. Show me what it was to cry Well, you couldn't be that man I adore You don't seem to know, seem to care What your heart is for Well, I don't know him anymore There's nothing where he used to lie The conversation has run dry That's what's going on Nothing's fine, I'm torn Thank 
is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New skyradio.com. Hey, and welcome back. And we're talking about ghosts this evening and specifically poltergeists, things that really changed ideas that I had uh, started out with in the beginning in the 70s and uh, that sort of thing. Ben, do you have any questions uh, so far here or... Yeah, sure. Um, so, what other cases did you uh, did the most to make you rethink your old beliefs? Well, there were uh, well, along with poltergeist cases, I just specifically cited 1974 in Bridgeport, 1978 in New Haven, Connecticut. Really, really wild poltergeist cases. That um, I really came to the conclusion: these are entities. These are not some something produced by some kid. And in, in the New Haven case, especially, there was there wasn't even any any kid present or any any agent in the, the technical sense present. Uh, the woman, however, would who uh, owned the place would come in and make it worse by literally arguing with the thing. I mean, she'd come in. She she took the daughter away to her sister's house, and the daughter lived there because it wasn't safe in the house. It's, you should have seen this place. And the woman went went back to the apartment every. Uh, every day and would would uh, try to clean up, but she'd also spend the time l- l- like fighting with, with with the thing in the sense of arguing, <laughs> and said sometimes she would hear voices in return, but all she was doing was feeding it, you know, and it, it, with, with negative energy. So she did all the worst stuff, and in the beginning she used seances and Ouija boards. It was a disaster. Anyway, we we did manage to straighten it out. Actually, by the time uh, I got there, it was it was kind of wearing down, and we we used a joke book and got everybody positive, and and that really. Seem to put it to bed. Strangely enough, joke book. <laughs> but every, virtually every case to answer your question uh, was um, one that kind of changed my ideas about the original spiritualist idea about what ghosts are. And uh, as I go into things deeply enough, they'd get more more interesting, more complicated, and you'd find more connections with other areas of the paranormal. 
Now, there are the old favorites I talk about on the show, such as those two cases. Uh, the Pomfret case of 71, 72, with all the physical manifestations, and the farm life you'd hear going on all around you all the time. So these aren't dead people. You know, what is this? Uh, the Haunter case of 78, I'm always talking about that. That was the one where the kid was a student at the University of Connecticut, and at the same time, haunting a house 125 miles away in Maine. And uh, this was discovered by the girl when they were driving by the house. She said the place looked familiar, o overwhelmingly. So went up and, and the people, uh, she met the people in the house who were terrified of her. They said she was the ghost haunting the house. Really quite dramatic. But then all phenomena ceased after they met. The worlds came together, if you will. Uh, and uh, there were really ultra weird ones. Uh, the Children in the Cellar uh, case in Canada, 1979. Uh, that was really strange. I mentioned that in my book, Turning Home. Uh, I traveled a great deal in '79, and one of my associates in, uh, in the um, uh, was a Canadian uh, Army officer who who had relatives outside the city in a kind of a new uh, plot, a new uh, new development, housing development. And he said that they're having a lot of weird things going on. And I so went over to see them, and they were talking about how their ten-year-old son had gone down in the basement one Saturday morning on an errand and came screaming up the stairs. And this is a new house. And said that there were children down there. And uh, this happened once, and, and they, they didn't pay any attention. But the, the next week it happened again, and they went down with them. And sure enough, the, in the corner of the basement, there was uh, what they described as a dark cloud. And in the midst of this cloud were two children dressed in kind of like jumpsuits, he described it. And the children were terrified, and th they were screaming or yelling they apparently could see the people, but they, they but and the, the family could could see them speaking and could see them but couldn't hear them. And to me, that and when I went down in that basement, I felt the presence of two children very strongly. Now I think what was happening here again, uh, these ideas were just beginning to develop in the late seventies. Uh, here in my work, the parallel universe idea: here are children sharing the same physical space. Because two worlds, the membranes of two, a membrane actually is a term used by physicists, or brain, B-R-A-N-E, were blending, were intersecting. And unfortunately, it created a great deal of fear and, and, and uh, terror because of, of this, this event. And this, um, th as far as I know, never happened again, but they all saw this and uh, the presence of, of those children, because they're Worlds did not seem to be very far apart when I was there, what was going on as well. Uh, there was also a very strange case in 1981, uh, a very strange creature I encountered in an attic in a house in New York State. And this is when I began to, uh, was really get, I, I, I would spend more time on cases and go very deeply into them. And I'd encounter things that you, I didn't expect, not just quote-unquote ghosts, but things that just didn't seem to be human, but weren't evil, like poltergeists, or evil in our sense. Uh, they weren't parasitical, like poltergeists, and they weren't, you know, people like a lot of the other things I was running into. This was a, all, the impression I got, people called me in on this, and they said, we don't know what this is, who it is, it doesn't seem threatening, it's just ultra strange. And in a way, they kind of like this presence because it was very positive. Now, when I went up into this attic, I immediately felt the presence of a, I can only describe it as a bear-like 
figure. Now, Ben will tell you, I've, I've, I have a soft spot in my heart for beers. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think it often goes back to this case. I'm not saying this was a, a, a bear, but it was some, some sort of intelligent life form. It just came across like a big, you know, benign kind of bear-like creature. And as I meditated, in this space, and I didn't, I don't, I didn't put a lot of these early meditative cases, communication cases, in my books because people say, "Aha, Paul's a psychic." You know, it clouds the issue. It's not. I'm trying to get across the point of how this stuff works and what it means for us, and not my own uh, abilities, such as they may be. But here's one where, I, which I've never written about, but it's this bear-like figure I encountered in the attic of this New York home, and it would communicate to me in a very, very strange form of what seemed to be Latin. And it, 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 it took several visits to this house to communicate with, the, with this, this creature who seemed to be... He, well, he said he was resting for, uh, on a journey and that he'd soon be leaving this area. He wasn't quite sure where he was. He certainly realized he was in New York State in 1981. And... Um, this odd form of Latin, and I'll give you an example of it, uh, just in case any of you happen to speak Latin. Um, he used it to ego in veni, w- properly should have been in venio. Uh, I would have used the word reperio, but, it, it, and then he'd say the word renthusia. And, and that would translate as best I could make it, I must find renthusia. And he made it clear that that was a place and also a state of being. Very interesting. The, the use of inveni or invenio is, is used, um, it's the word find, but it's, it's finding something generally uh, higher in tone that, than just you know, going down to find the supermarket. You know? And it, this, this, this being came across as very noble, a very good, uh, positive creature who was on some kind of a quest. And he uh, somehow, I guess, the, 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 he understood the notion of, of various worlds. Apparently his species could travel. It was very, perfectly physical. There were times when I could see a large sort of hulking outline. But again, very, very positive. No, no negative, no threat whatsoever. And uh, he seemed willing to communicate. But again, uh, after my, my fifth visit, here, which wasn't easy because I was living in Rhode Island, uh, he faded away. Apparently, he was on his way, and he, in the course of our conversations, which were very slow, because I, I had trouble understanding his language, uh, he would just sort of, uh, just kind of faded away, and as if he had, he said, you know, thank you, uh, you know, and he said it kind of came across in a way, well, like, kind of like thanks a lot, you didn't help me much, but it was pleasant talking to you. And off, off he went. Never seen or heard from again. Uh, I followed up with the people for several years. As everything was fine, never um, seen or heard from again. They had heard, uh, felt his presence. Uh, he had not come down out of the attic, but they would feel the uh, uh, presence of, the, of this and hear footsteps as well. So, in any case, uh, one of the most interesting cases that showed me that there was so much more to "quote unquote" ghosts than just ghosts. Uh, we have encountered a number, uh, and now Ben, too, uh, getting into uh, some of the cases we've been working on together. Uh, certainly the one in Connecticut where we hope to do our, our pilot for our television show uh, is involving a number of, of creatures uh, 
uh, intelligent, uh, seemingly benign uh, entities who just sort of pass through uh, because this place is, is a time square of the multiverse, seemingly. All sorts of worlds seem to converge there. Uh, and, and oddly enough, I, I have never in our five years of research over there picked up anything overtly negative, anything parasitical, which is very odd. But these people are so positive and so good-hearted. And in fact, one of them is a reporter for our show. And just such great folks that I'm sure they, they are protected by not only by their ancestors, uh, who are also present in this situation, but also by their own good hearts and their good spirits and their, 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 their um, I wouldn't even say noble uh, attitudes and, and, and uh the atmosphere in their house is just is just great. So, uh, fortunately, uh, they have uh, not had too much trouble with anything negative. So, uh, we're going to be checking that out for sure. Uh, hopefully, on our on our television series that is just beginning to grow and uh, take take shape in the form of uh, some um, uh, interesting technological things we're going to try and uh, when it'll be on. I don't know or where. We're not sure. But anyway, we're going to be going over there with our director next week to check it out. So uh, apparently there's so much more to the paranormal than you might think there is, especially ghosts. So stay with us. We're going to be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio, uh, NewSkyRadio.com. Uh, no limits, no boundaries. Is that what they say? What? <laughs> I never heard that ever in my life. Okay, well, Mr. congratulations. Anyway, we'll be right back. Stay with us. CBS Radio's The New Sky. NewSkyRadio.com. This is The Lisa J. Smith Show. Change your perception, change your life. This is Lisa J. Smith, and you can tune in at 3 o'clock Eastern to listen to Lisa J. Now. I'm here to give you messages from spirit and to help you have a new way of looking at life. That's at 3 o'clock Eastern on CBS Radio, The Sky. Look up to the sky. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Reach out, newskyradio.com. Good stream. 
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Well, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. We're uh, without a guest tonight, but Ben and I are talking about ghosts and the various experiences that I had in my 40 years of work that really changed my ideas of, of, about what these are and the true depth of what the paranormal might mean for us uh, as seen through the uh, experiences of, with, with uh, things that we would usually call ghosts but it turned out to be uh, amazing uh, intelligences from other parallel worlds and uh, people who had died here but but uh, not there and we're, we're thriving there and uh, this sort of thing. And, of course, poltergeists are the negative side of it uh, and parasitical entities who would feed upon uh, various people who I've tried to help over the years. Uh, so um, uh, I guess you had another question there, Ben. Yes. All right. Um, oh, that question. Yeah. <laughs> How about those ghost deer? Yeah, th- that that was probably the, one of the most beautiful experiences in my life. Uh, people often, uh, well, not often, but sometimes you'll hear things about ghost pets, and you know the dog, uh, you know, uh, passes away, but they still see him around the house, or or will will be come out and photographs this kind of thing. Well, you know, that's only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to uh, some animal. If you want to, I don't even think the term ghost is is good enough to describe some of these experiences, but um, I, I, it really helped to deepen my understanding of the paranormal and the magic, the wonders of the paranormal and the kind of world that indicates we really live in. Uh, in this particular case, 1975, uh, it was really wondrous. That's the only word for it. Uh, the case certainly I dealt with up until that time. And it was a Tom, uh, my friend uh, Tom, I won't give his last name, from Cortland, New York, and yes, that's the home of the famous Apple, Cortland Apple. Uh, you're not going to believe this. I, 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 I uh, took some notes down as we were going through this case, and he said uh, he thought it was a ghost-like experience that people were having or he was having, uh, but that uh, I had to see it to believe it. wouldn't tell me what it was about. He wouldn't, he wouldn't tell me. So off I went, <clears throat> packed up my cameras and tape recorder and notebooks. That's about the uh, as, as technological as we got in those days. And uh, we took the long drive uh, to Cortland, New York, from my home in Connecticut. And I got there, and I got to Tom's house. He still wouldn't tell me what it was about. He said, you know, so I started to get frustrated. I said, well, what is this? You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, what's happening? Uh, and he said it was always at night, and you never knew quite when it was going to happen. So I could see myself sitting in the cold of the central New York for nights on end with nothing happening. But as uh, we went out... Uh, as dusk was settling the first night, and we tramped uh, way out to the back of an orchard uh, by the edge of some some woods. Uh, very um, nice ambiance. It was a little bit kind of foggy and, and a very um, kind of cool, ghostly kind of night. Uh, and Tom said something like, this is about as close as you can get or we'll scare them. So we sat there on the ground for hours. It was chilly. I mean, it was late August, but, you know, late August nights can get chilly. And I was dozing off when I felt a poke in the ribs. And it was a little after one in the morning. And in silence and in the thin moonlight, I could see my friend point toward the edge of the woods about 100 yards away. At first, I didn't see anything. Uh, And then I thought I saw a flicker of a soft white light. You know, you see light bulbs and stuff. It's kind of a hard light. It's kind of harsh. But this was a very soft, very beautiful kind of light. 
among the trees. And then, sure enough, there was a flicker and then another and then another. And these little lights seemed to be moving together through the trees and toward the edge of the orchard. And then they emerged from the trees. There were nine deer, clearly outlined in glowing white, five of them with antlers. They were moving slowly and quietly along, feeding on the ground as they went, kind of inching their way into the orchard where we were sitting. I cannot describe the feeling that came over me. It was complete wonder. Like the first time I'd ever gone out as a child and looked up at the stars. Uh, most of us don't remember that. I have a memory of that. At the same time, there was a maddening feeling of familiarity with this scene that I just couldn't put my finger on. It was a holy experience. That's the best way I can describe it. Uh, I was also very lucky. Tom had said that he had discovered these phantom deer while camping here with his younger brother about a week and a half before that. And his younger brother had been asleep, hadn't seen it. And Tom, who hadn't told anyone about this for fear of being ridiculed or branded a nut, uh, had come out again and again the following two nights. The second night had finally seen the deer again. But I was lucky that on my first night I actually had that experience. Uh, and there were different times of the night as well. Our experience took place just after one, but he said his previous time had been just before dawn. Uh, then three nights later, uh, he said they were there again, just after midnight, according to him. And that's what uh, Tom found out. Uh, that's what they found out, that they were kind of skittish. He had tried to kind of get a little close. And they had apparently known he was there and had run back into the woods. Uh, they did, oh, no, I'm sorry. No, he, I'm looking at my notes here. He had, they had not run back into the woods. They had just disappeared. And that really spooked him. He said it was like a light turning off, he said. Now, as I say, uh, Tom hadn't told anyone else about this, but considering my paranormal proclivities that he knew about, I guess he considered me crazy enough to share the, the experience with. And uh, the day after we had experienced that sighting, we went back to the orchard in the daylight. And I wanted to check this out. I said, this is just too crazy. Uh, there, I, we really, really examined the nearby woods and this area. There were no lights, no wires, no anything that would indicate any sort of a hoax. Uh, nothing whatever to indicate... Um, uh, anything uh, out of the ordinary. We even searched the treetops with binoculars. Couldn't see anything uh, out of the ordinary. Uh, yes, I had snapped photographs during the sighting once I got my wits about me. Uh, I hurried to have them developed. When I got home, every frame was hopelessly fogged. It wasn't black. It was just fogged over. Usually if you're taking pictures and you haven't done it properly and you haven't got a flash or whatever and your film isn't the right kind or even digitally, uh, you just completely lose the picture it's all black but these were fogged over now, i stayed for two more nights but never saw those deer again and i felt an uncanny sense of loss at that and after my visit uh tom said that he never saw the deer again either uh what was this this experience i mean can, can this fit into any area of the paranormal that i had ever seen before no uh it 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 did fit however when i thought about it into the parallel universe thing uh, the multiple worlds idea that all that is wonderful really does exist, and it's right next to us all the time. We just have to kind of take it. There are ways to do that, and shamans sometimes will tell you how to do that. Bring what you need to you in the world in which it exists and combine it with this world, and that's how things should work. The world is what we make it, I always believe, and boy, this really gives a whole new depth to that idea. So were these the ghosts of dead deer? Somehow I don't think that will just will do it. 
And as I often say, uh, if I knew then what I think I know now, I would say that I had a deeply precious experience of a very, very beautiful parallel reality. One that I will tell you now that I have experienced again in recent years uh, in in dreams. Now, again, I, I tend to be skeptical. I'm not too sure about a lot of this stuff. Uh, 2012 or dreams and everything. But these things happen. And, and you know, I'm at the point in my life where I think you just kind of have to have the experience. You know, if you analyze it, you kill it. You know, and we've analyzed the whole world to death and we've killed it, you know, including society and a lot of our lives. I think it's time to stop that and to start picking up the wonder again. Anyway, uh, when we come back, I want to uh, begin to get into some very interesting emails that we have received because I don't like to not answer those on the show. <clears throat> and uh, there's some, some good ghost questions that have come in tonight. So we'll get back to that shortly here on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on, w, on uh, CBS uh, New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. We'll be right back. Psychic Radio. PsychicOnAir.com. The Wake Up Call with Ellen Tom. But so you're the first kid on the block and you can prove it. Because there's similar prototypes, but nothing quite as good as yours. Yes. Yours has more than one yes. application. Yes, my God, you're brilliant. Hi, it's Tom Force. Reverend L. Newman and I are here Monday nights, 7 till 9, primetime Eastern Time in the United States, with Wake Up Call on Psychic Radio. Psychic Radio. We know you're listening. Life is a journey. Let us be your guide. Reach out on the net now, psychiconair.com. Look for Psychic Radio on your AOL radio player.
Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Well, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. And um, we're going to be doing some emails here, which uh, go with our theme tonight of ghosts and what are they and how deep can you go and what do they really mean and this sort of thing and uh i don't know we talk about this a lot and somehow people just um listen to the show and i i don't think some of them get it uh <laughs> uh i don't know this I, i'll tell you what i mean here in a minute ben uh, stepped away from his mic for a minute but so i'll read this one uh this is from carol w in danvers massachusetts and carol asks can ghosts be hard of hearing we have one we ask questions to, and he seems like he can't hear very well. He answers by hitting the wall three or four times instead of once for yes and two for no that we ask for. All right. Well, first of all, Carol, if you listen to this show with any uh, sort of dedication, you will know that you should not be trying to communicate with these things. And as I said in the beginning of the show, nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be. These things, you have to assume the worst until you, you can't trust them. You just can't trust them. You never know if it's a parasitical entity, non-human parasitical entity, or even a human one. I, I, I have not run into that, but I can see where it might be possible. There are enough, heaven knows there are enough uh, parasites among us as it is, in human form, so to speak. And you should not be trying to communicate here because you don't know if it's something trying to move in on you, trying to push buttons, trying to eat, and to take advantage of uh, problems in your family or whatever. So don't try and communicate with these things. This wall-hitting business is an old spiritualist technique uh, that was used during seances, and they would encounter something they thought they immediately would believe whatever they said it was. You know, uh, I'm uh, cousin so and so, uh, and well, uh, are you cousin so and so? Yes, bang the wall for yes, uh, and twice for no, in this business. I've actually seen people use this, but you can't trust them. So I would say, uh, the ghost is hard of hearing. I don't think it's hard of hearing. I think it's a, you're, you. You might be hard of hearing if you listen to the show and you haven't taken the lesson yet that you don't try and communicate with these things, and you can't trust them. Uh, as far as it's, uh, it may have a language problem, such as this this figure I described earlier in the show. You might uh, be dealing with with uh, a, a, an alien creature here from a parallel universe that maybe wants to communicate with you, but and maybe isn't evil or good or, or is just neutral, and just happened to come your way through a you know a intersection of worlds in the, in the space you're sharing, and maybe just uh, doesn't understand you. Uh, they, these are all any anything is possible, but a lot of the possibilities are not good. So I would suggest do not try and communicate with this thing. Uh, keep me posted on that if you would, um, Carol. You know you have our email address, uh, Paul or Ben at behindtheparanormal.com. Uh, here's another one. This is from Courtney Courtney Gerald in Seattle, Washington. Great, and uh, Courtney writes. A friend of mine recently died, and his daughter says she's still yeah, she's already back as a ghost, but doesn't seem to know what she's doing. We got uh, uh, we get pictures of weird light that's all over the place, and at night it sounds like she bangs into things when she walks around. Do you think she just isn't used to being dead yet, or doesn't know she's dead? Okay. I don't mean to introduce humor into this, and certainly our deepest sympathies on the loss of 
of the of this lady. But I mean, you just again here are here come the assumptions. There's a whole army of assumptions that seem to come along uh, when people are dealing with ghosts. First of all, okay, somebody recently died. Aha! Weird stuff starts to happen. It's got to be them. Uh, you, you have uh, things uh, you, that you hear and 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 you you make assumptions. You make connections. Well, that's not always justified. Uh, sure, it's a coincidence somebody died. All of a sudden, you start hearing strange things. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I suppose from a multiverse standpoint, it's very possible that you're just uh, hearing this person uh, going about uh, their daily lives. And I don't know. This goes back to the clumsy ghost story. Remember? Oh yeah, uh, that was uh, kind of made us laugh. <laughs> the ghost was <laughs> falling downstairs or stepping on the cat or something. I don't really remember, but it was a good one. And. Uh, yeah, I suppose, uh, you know, uh, if this person theoretically, uh, you know, passes from the consciousness passes from one uh, body to where they already are in a parallel life, uh, you know, the, the nature takes the path of the path of least resistance. And this is all part of nature. So if her consciousness uh, moved to where she was in a subconscious life uh, in, in a very close parallel world in the same house, sharing the same space. Yeah, I suppose you could have this stuff going on, but you just don't know. Uh, there could be other. There are other factors that influence these phenomena, uh, and, and the fact that it's close to a death could be a coincidence. Uh, the whole notion of ultrasound, when you have, uh, you know, have you recently gotten? Has this person recently gotten a new stereo system? Sometimes the subwoofer can create uh, an ultrasound phenomenon known as as a standing wave, which is trapped in the house and can literally create the uh, conditions by which you will see or hear things in a, in a ghostly sense. Now, whether it actually opens doors to parallel worlds, that's another question. It could, uh, or it could create the illusion of it. But that, that was the thing. There are, there are many explanations besides this. I would say do not, certainly do not try to communicate. Uh, this is, sounds like an interesting situation. I'd like to kind of keep track of it. And uh, wanted to just you know, keep us posted on, uh, on what's happening with this. But I, I just, I just, I'm just not going to assume here that this is some uh, poor woman who just died and she's uh, not good at being a ghost yet. I think that's kind of stretching it. Uh, here is um, one from Ron Genty in Los Angeles. Real short question. Can you give me the name or number of a good medium, or of a great medium, sorry? Well, I'll tell you, Ron, no, I won't, because I don't trust most of it. There are a few whom I trust who I believe are absolutely legitimate. They know what they're doing. Uh, they're intelligent, they're articulate, and they, they have a sense of almost a shamanic sense of what they're doing. Uh, however, I, I think that calling in someone uh, like that for whatever purpose you have is not necessarily necessary, so to speak. I'd like to know why you want to talk to a medium, and I'd like to know exactly what's happening that makes you think you have to. So if you want further answers to this, then write. Uh, to us again and let me know some of the background here. Uh, I do not recommend people go to psychics or mediums without very good reason. Uh, now there's another one here but we're kind of running out of time. This is a good one. It's a question about witches uh, from somebody in Los Angeles and it's uh, I'm going to save this for tomorrow's show. <laughs> this is too precious. Anyway, thank you for writing, Molly. Tune in tomorrow to our New England show and I'll answer it then. Alright, coming down to the end of the wire here. Uh, certainly you can contact us with any further questions about anything we've talked about tonight. Uh, Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com or Ben at BehindTheParanormal.com. You've been having some email trouble, though, lately. Yeah, so 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, just, just send it to this guy. All right. If you happen to live in southern New England, you might catch Ben and I on TV, uh, a little show called Psychic Holistic Spotlight with our good friend June Finan. It's on, a, on a Rhode Island Cable Channel 14. I know there's probably nobody in Rhode Island listens to this particular version of the show, except in podcast form. But if you do happen to be doing so, check us out on the 25th. I believe it's at uh, 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening. Check your local schedules. Uh, please uh, visit, too, the, the Justice for the 81st, uh, Bentwater's 81st Security Police, Rendlesham Forest 1980. Our big Rendlesham series continues next Sunday. Uh, Check that out on Facebook. Uh, there's a link at BehindTheParanormal.com, our show website. All right. So uh, many thanks to our producer, Will Kosnick, and we'll see you right here next Sunday, September 26th, on CBS, New Sky Radio, and NewSkyRadio.com at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific. And we'll have Dr. Bernard... How you pronounce? Uh, I believe it's Heish. Heish, all right. Yeah. yeah, I thought so. Uh, here to talk about the paranormal and God. And if you live in the Boston, Providence, Worcester area, check out our New England Drive Time show tomorrow, 6 p.m. on WON 1240 a.m. and com. And remember, you can always get free podcasts of all shows along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And tonight we leave you with a quote from the British author Brian Aldiss. Aldiss, I'm sorry. Quote, science fiction is no more written for scientists than ghost stories are written for ghosts. See you next week.